0: Hey there, and welcome to the Baking Ish Podcast, the podcast where we go through cult classic and timeless recipes, break down what makes them work, and how to experiment with recipes in order to make it truly your own. Along the way, we'll discuss what makes life worth living, the highs and the lows, and try to figure out what it is to navigate the complexity of being human. Within the kitchen, you are limitless, and with that comes the ability to find a voice. In order to face the outside world. So, join me, your host, Ren Newman, as we dive right on into this week's recipe. Hey there, and welcome to this week's episode. (laughs) This recipe isn't crazy, I promise. A lot of people see the word cinnamon rolls and either think it's too much work or that they can't have them because of an allergy. Well, good news on both fronts. This recipe isn't too much work, it's allergy friendly, and it can be frozen for an effortless breakfast later on in the week when you have no time to bake. So a little backstory on why this recipe is vegan and gluten free, Uh, I recently had annual blood work done and found out that I'm allergic to a lot more things than I thought. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure what's going on with my body but here we are. (laughs) A lot of my recipes will be reflecting this too. Um, but I'll include some family classics in there as well as adaptations of other recipes I've loved since before these new allergies came to light. Basically, I'm allergic to everything except for, um, everything animal product related except for sheep and goats milk and cheese and then fish. So, um, oh, and pork. So I can have pretty much nothing else in the animal world. So, no dairy, no cheese, nothing like that. Uh, I'm also allergic to poultry, so chicken and turkey and things like that, and then um, gluten and eggs, um, which is probably the most heartbreaking thing because one of my favorite things is chicken broth ramen with like a nice <laughs> marinated egg. I don't know, it's real sad but we'll get past it. I'll figure out something. <laughs> um but I'll definitely include some of my family classics that have things that you're used to like eggs and dairy and like all the southern goodness <laughs> but Um, I definitely recommend talking to your doctor about getting a blood test too. If you think you have allergies, it's really helped me to shape my diet into something that isn't detrimental to my health. Um, A lot of symptoms I've had like swelling and bloating and mental health issues like anxiety and depression have been exacerbated by eating things that cause my body to, you know, become inflamed. Because basically it's an autoimmune response. So my body just attacks things that are seen as foreign in my blood. So my symptoms are a little bit more exacerbated than, um, your average topical food allergy. Um, cause I had the skin prick test and I had colonoscopies and I've had endoscopies and endoscopy, endoscopy. I don't know. <laughs> English is hard, <laughs> but, um, they've all shown different things throughout the years as my body has developed and changed. So have my allergies. So um, it's hard because if your body is actively fighting against something, you know, what you're putting into it, health and feeling good can seem impossible. Yeah, I definitely recommend getting a blood test done and talking to your doctor about what that looks like, especially if you notice feeling a certain way after eating certain foods. For me, this all started with bell peppers. I would get hives after eating them and then I was like, ah, this isn't normal. Um, And it led to a ton of tests and again, colonoscopies. Um, So yeah, definitely recommend talking to your doctor if you feel like anything is abnormal. And that goes for everything. But I feel like we so often don't know what to ask for, how to be our own advocates when it comes to allergies. Um, Like, don't be afraid to ask your doctor for certain tests. And if they don't think that's right, they're going to tell you why. Um, But you can still ask for them, especially if you're curious. Like, it's your body. And the only person who's going to know the ins ins and outs of it is going to be you. So, all right. So without further ado, let's get into this week's recipe. So it's gluten-free and vegan cinnamon rolls. It makes 18 rolls, which is about three pie pans worth. And I swear the ingredients list looks intimidating, but it's not bad. So... Starting off with the dough, you're going to combine all of the dry ingredients in the bowl of a stand mixer with a paddle attachment. Um, so your gluten-free bread flour, sugar, and salt. Now, there are a ton of different bread flours out there. Um, King Arthur's has a few, and then um, Bob's Red Mills, and then there's a authentic foods brand um, that is called Steve's. I've always used Steve's. That's because I was trained on it when I was baking for a gluten-free bakery. Um, But I've also ventured out and tried the King Arthur brand and Bob's Red Mill. I really like Bob's Red Mill the most. Um, It does have xanthan gum in it which makes it a little bit more easy to roll and a little bit more flexible king arthur's i haven't looked into it i think it does as well but not as much so it does tend to crumble it's better as a pizza crust rather than like a bread dough but you could probably supplement that with extra either tapioca starch and um, xanthan gum combined, or I've seen a lot of recipes call for Facillum husk, which is very fascinating, and I haven't actually used that yet. Um, I've seen it in a lot of especially sourdough gluten-free recipes, so I'm excited to try that in the future. But if you have experience with that, then you know what you're doing way more than I do in that realm. Um, but I would stick to either Steve's or Bob's Red Mill for this one. In a separate bowl, you'll add the warm water, sugar, and yeast. Basically, you want to bloom the yeast. You're going to whisk it all to combine and see if it starts to bubble. Um, When it bubbles, it shows that it's alive and that your yeast is active. You'll let it sit for 10 minutes. If there's no activity, then you need to start all over with new yeast, as the yeast you used at first wasn't active. In a separate bowl, you'll need to make your flax eggs by combining the water and flax meal and allowing that to sit as well. Basically, what happens is the water will hydrate the flax, which makes it into a eggy consistency. It's almost the consistency of a runny yolk, um, and it just works really well as a binding agent. Next, you'll combine the melted butter and neutral oil in a separate container. And at this point if you're using a mixer go ahead and turn it on to speed one with the dry ingredients in and slowly add in the butter and oil mixture until combined you'll continue on speed one and stream in the flax egg mixture until just coming together then add in the yeast and water mixture next if mixing by hand you can add each of the ingredients in the order mentioned before and then just combine really slowly with your hands or a wooden spoon or if you have a danish loop whisk this also works really well in this um recipe too um basically a danish loop whisk is a really <laughs> quirky looking contraption um that is used to mix doughs and it does so very very well um, i highly encourage looking up videos on youtube or looking at amazon listings for it um, it's pretty cool actually next you'll want to lightly oil a bowl and put your dough inside Just like any other dough, this one has to rise. Gluten-free or not, yeast is yeast. Cover it with a towel and set in a warm place to rise for about an hour and a half. I usually do this in the oven with it turned off and with the light on. It's a great place because the heat from the light of the oven actually allows for the air to stay around room temperature, maybe a little bit warmer, um, but it doesn't allow for a draft to occur. So basically you're creating your own proofing box, like from the Great British Bake Off, but in your own home. While that's rising, you can make the filling. The Filling is incredibly easy. You basically just combine all the ingredients in your stand mixer and whip it on like speeds four through six. Um, you can whip it until it's light and fluffy in color for about 10 minutes. Um, it just depends upon the power of your mixer and what speed you're on. If you're combining by hand, not a problem. You just want to make sure your butter is really soft. Um, You can use a spatula at first and then a whisk to try to whip it lighter and lighter. Um, What you're trying to do is to incorporate air into the mixture so it doesn't feel as heavy. I think all of us have had a cinnamon roll that just makes you feel like garbage after because it sinks like a brick in your gut. Um, The beauty of this recipe is that the filling is so light that you don't feel that. And that's done by whipping a lot of air into the butter. Quick note, you can also substitute the sweet filling for a savory one too. I've done this a lot. So making like ham and cheese rolls or um, a tofu curry roll. This is also a really good pizza dough recipe too. So instead of rolling it into a log later on and letting it rise a second time, you just roll it directly into a greased half baking sheet um, or until the sheet is covered or even in a cast iron. It's up to you. Um, And then you just top with your sauce and toppings. It's literally so versatile. Um, One of my favorite applications too is in the wintertime to make a white chocolate and cranberry roll filling. And at that point, it's just like a sweet bun, but it is so good. Um, Or if you're familiar with ube or taro or red bean paste, also really good for this recipe. Um, red bean paste is nice too because it's <laughs> it's very deceiving. It looks like chocolate. Um, so you bite into it and then you get this like really rich sweet flavor and you can top it with like a sweetened condensed milk icing. Um, th- literally the options are endless which is one of the beauties of baking. People say it's very restrictive and it's like a science And to some degree, yeah, it is. But in others, it's just as versatile as cooking. You just have to be creative, you know? Um, It's like cooking. The more you do it, the easier it is to be flexible. At first, you're following recipes to a T. And the next thing you know, you're changing them for your own palate, which is what recipes are for. They're supposed to be interchangeable. Just something to keep in mind. All right, for forming and rolling the dough, what you wanna do first is dust gluten-free flour over a sheet of parchment paper that's on top of your work surface, and then you'll turn your dough out on top of it. The parchment paper here is actually like super essential. You can also use um, a silicone baking mat as well. It just helps you to be able to pick up the edges and then roll the dough over onto itself versus trying to roll it without anything that's supportive. Um, Gluten-free flour, because it doesn't have gluten, it doesn't really allow for the structure or uh, stretchiness of dough to occur, which is why a lot of people add in things like bacillum husk and xanthan gum. Um, but because it lacks that actual integral quality of dough, it's not very good at rolling on itself, which is why you don't see very many, you know, cinnamon rolls or croissants or anything like that because it's very hard to roll. And this recipe is no different. It's a lot more firm and solid than other doughs that you'll see. But you do have to have that parchment paper underneath in order to roll the edges up and over and get that process going. Um, So once your dough is turned out on top of the parchment paper, dust the top of it with more gluten-free flour. And then roll it out until it's a rectangle, roughly about 16 to 22 inches, about the same size as your baking sheet. Um, And make sure that it's an inch and a half thick gluten-free dough, another note, cannot be rolled in a back-and-forth motion. You're used to pushing forward and then pulling back on the dough. Um, Gluten-free dough has to be rolled in one direction at first, so either rolling all forward and then not having your pin on the dough when you come back to push forward, or pulling it toward you as well with the pin. Um, You just wanna make sure that you're not going back and forth because that will cause the dough to tear and it's really hard to patch up those holes because it doesn't have the same um, gluten development or structure as other doughs. So once it's rolled flat, take your filling and spread it evenly over the top from edge to edge. I like using an offset spatula for this part, um, but the back of a spoon is fine or just a regular spatula whatever you like. You're gonna grab one end of the long sides of the parchment paper and begin to roll the dough onto itself until it's rolled into a log. Then I want you to cut this log into thirds and then cut the thirds into half, giving you six pieces, and then cut those again into thirds. The goal is to have 18 pieces here um, that are about an inch to an inch and a half thick. If you have 15 pieces, that's totally fine. I don't think anyone's gonna be mad that they got a bulkier cinnamon roll, right? Like, who's gonna complain about that? And if they do, they can just eat half and save the other half for later. It's a win-win situation. At this point, you'll take your rolls and divide them into pans. I use glass pie pans, that way I can see the bottoms to see when they're browned. Um, And I can fit about six per pan, depending upon the size so i'll cover two pans usually with plastic and then with foil and i'll freeze them for later Um, and they freeze for about six months which is great Um, if baking them right away you can cover loosely with a towel and then allow them to rise for another 30 minutes on the countertop though Um, it's whatever your preference if you have time to bake them all or you're baking for a huge crowd go for it. If not, freezing works and they stack really well too. Um, Just make sure that you have enough pie pans to do this and that you don't need them anytime in the future. Meanwhile, while it's rising for a second time, go ahead and preheat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit or 165 degrees Celsius. I honestly don't understand why America hasn't switched over to metric, but you know, that's a complaint for a different podcast. Um, once it's done rising for the second time, just pop it into the oven for 20 to 30 minutes or until the top is browned a little. Um, you also want to check the bottom. So what I'll do is I'll grab both sides of the pie plate with my hands and then just lift it above my head so I can see what the bottom looks like. You want it to be cooked throughout and it's not going to be the iconic golden brown that you're used to. It's going to be just like a a light toasted brown, kind of like light brown sugar. Um, and you want to serve this right away. You can drizzle it with honey or cream cheese icing or sweetened condensed milk or agave or even maple syrup. Um, The options are literally endless. Um, They reheat in the the microwave and the oven pretty well as well. Um, So about 30 to 60 seconds in the microwave, 10 to 15 minutes in the oven at like 325. So, I mean, if you make these and you're the only one eating them, don't feel bad just keep them in a very cool space you can keep them at room temp because they don't have dairy or eggs or anything Um, if you do ice them though I would put them back in the fridge just to make sure everything stays set but they should keep at room temp for about five days so pretty easy our highlighted mental illness this week is bipolar disorder Bipolar disorders are described by the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM-5, wow that was a mouthful, as a group of brain disorders that cause extreme fluctuation in a person's mood, energy, and ability to function. Bipolar disorder is a category that includes three different conditions, Bipolar one, Bipolar two, and cyclothymic disorder. I have no idea if I pronounced that right please let me know in the comments. (laughs) Um, Bipolar 1 disorder is a manic depressive disorder that can exist both with and without psychotic episodes. Bipolar 2 disorder consists of depressive and manic episodes, which alternate and are typically less severe and do not inhibit function. Cycloschematic disorder is a cyclical disorder that causes brief episodes of hypomania and depression. Bipolar and related disorders are given a chapter of their own in the DSM-5 between depressive disorders and schizophrenia spectrum disorders. People who live with bipolar disorder experience periods of great excitement, overactivity, delusions, and euphoria known as mania, and other periods of feeling sad and hopeless known as depression. As such, the use of the word bipolar reflects this fluctuation between extreme highs and extreme lows. The diagnosis is frequently assigned to young patients presenting with a first major depressive episode. In these cases, diagnosis is exclusively based on psychiatric history provided by family and caregivers and not on the current psychopathological assessment by the psychiatrist. So something we started doing was reading the um, Urban Dictionary definitions for these mental illnesses, and some of them are really funny. But some of them actually really hit on the head of what it is to either have bipolar disorder or what it is, which I think speaks to the times of, you know, mental illness awareness being a thing and not being ableist in our thinking, um, because before bipolar was used as a derogatory term, at least in the mid 2000s, I'm not sure before that, um, but if you were seen as bipolar, you were seen as crazy or other or just, like, super hot and super cold. And it was a way to, like, derive someone away from being human and experiencing what it is to care for the world. Um, and I hate that dissociation, right? Like, we're consciously choosing to push someone away because they're too much for us or too much for themselves. Like, it's awful. But I was actually surprised by the definition of bipolar disorder on Urban Dictionary, it's actually really accurate and not derogatory in nature. So here it is. As defined by Urban Dictionary, bipolar disorder is a mental disorder marked by alternating periods of deep depression and extreme euphoria, mania. Contrary to popular belief, the violent mood swings associated with this illness are far more prolonged than ordinary emotional ups and downs, and the shifts of mood are sustained lasting sometimes weeks, months, or even years. The classic form of this condition is an extremely severe form of psychiatric disease, but in more recent times, milder milder variations that are more depressive heavy and less manic have been included. It, however, remains very serious in all its forms, and no group of people, mentally ill or mentally healthy, um, commit suicide half as much as manic depressives do. It's a horrible disease, and certainly not to be trivialized, as just mood swings. Trigger warning here. People, warn- people with bipolar disorder kill themselves more than any other group of people. It is some, quote, serious shit. And I think that speaks to where we're at, right? Like, people are coming to accept mental illnesses more readily, which I talked about prior. It comes with its ups and downs, um, romantization of different illnesses or people wanting to be mentally ill or seeing it for not what it is, but what the media portrays it to be. But I think by looking at things like the Urban Dictionary to see where people are inserting their own definitions of what it is has helped a lot because it shows that people are starting to take it seriously, at least in America. I know that some cultures and some areas of the world still don't see it as an issue um, or as part of your overall health as a human. They see physical health as the main thing. But your brain can be just as broken as your body at any point in time. It's just invisible, right? Like I've given the analogy of if you have a broken arm, you would go to the doctor and get it fixed, right? Or at least try to have them set it so it can heal properly. But when you have a broken mind, we don't do that. We don't go get our minds set. (laughs) We don't go and try to heal um, just because it's invisible, right? We think it doesn't affect us, but it does. And other people can see that. So I think it's slowly becoming more common to talk about mental health. um, And it will continue to evolve and develop as time goes on. And as more and more people are talking about it, right? If there wasn't social media and there wasn't books out there and there wasn't more people going into the field of mental health and treatment and figuring out different ways to implement CBT into everyday life... I don't know if it would be as mainstream as it is now to have an understanding or at least an idea of what it is to have a mental illness. So in one way, that is one thing that social media has done for good. Outside of romanticizing and and trivializing certain parts of these diseases, um, it has made awareness in more readily available um, to those who would not otherwise know what it is so slowly but surely we are decreasing the stigma around mental health who knows what it'll look like in five years but it's not our job to like dwell on what it'll be right it's our jobs to help prepare the present for the future and the only way that, that can be done is by working in the present while being future-minded so the future will happen whether we want it to or not and stigmas will continue to either be erased or to be exacerbated. And it's different from culture to culture, but I think we'll begin to see it decrease over time. Alright, thanks for listening to me ramble And <laughs> this week. Um, if you make the recipe, let me know. If you have any troubles, let me know. I know cinnamon rolls are just a very complicated thing for people or they seem intense or like you have to have this wealth of knowledge when it comes to baking in order to make them you really don't um and if you need a recipe that isn't gluten-free or vegan just so you can have a baseline to start with because you don't have any allergy restrictions definitely message me i still have my grandmother's old uh, cinnamon roll recipe from when she lived in california as a kid so just let me know as always Try to take care of yourself this weekend, get some rest, and continue to donate to the things that matter to you. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on in the world. Um, Not all of it great. It's never always been great. But continue to support and sustain change, right? Like, if we don't advocate for ourselves and others, then no one will, you know, be the change thrown around a lot. And it does sound pretty cliche, but it's true. Be the change you want to see in the world. Treat people with empathy and with kindness and with a compassion that you wish that they would show for you. And even if you don't get shown the same kindness, it's okay. You're still putting that out into the world. So it makes a difference. And you're not a pushover for being nice or for being kind. And you're vulnerable is what makes you great. So the more you tell yourself that, the easier it is to try to be an optimistic realist. Although, God, the last two weeks have been very hard and very trying, let me tell you. Um, But yeah, thanks for listening to me ramble. Continue to have a good week, and I hope that the week going ahead is a little bit lighter for you. See you next time.